0: Hey, how's it going, folks? Um, Hope everyone has been well. Hope everyone's doing good. Um, Hope everyone is healthy and staying safe. Um, Today is February 17th, 16th. Uh, It is Wednesday, uh, and we are heading to work. So welcome to your morning commute with In Defense of Liberation a show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement, and one day soon, a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I'd like to say thanks so much for stopping by. I'm your host, Josh, and uh, as I said, this is In Defense of Liberation. If this is your first time tuning in, what's up? Hope you're well. Uh, Please let me know what you think of the show in any, you know, way in which you'd like. Uh, Please be honest, you know, let me know what I did wrong, what I did right, what I could improve, who I could talk to, what I could talk about, and, you know, other things. But anyways, you can give me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, You can DM me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok to let me know what you think. And if for whatever reason you have much, much more you'd like to express to me, I have an email account set up just for that. So that is indefenseofliberation at com. No caps or spaces in the name there. So anyways, if this is you tuning back in, what's up? Hope you are well and uh, glad to see uh, that the show was good enough to interest you in tuning back in once more. Uh, I... Uh, I've been kind of spending the last few days I've recorded an episode But I I didn't quite like it So I decided not to post it Uh, But I've been spending the last few days Kind of relaxing, trying to chill Um, I had four days off of work Which I haven't had in Two years, I think Um, So that was nice Uh, I um, Had an interview I saw my folks had Valentine's Day with my partner, and, yeah, things are going, you know, just about as good as you can expect, um, I don't, you know, I, I don't really have anything that I'm coming into this episode super equipped with, um, you know, as the morning commute kind of is, I'm kind of just stream of consciousness saying what's on my, my mind, but, I've been spending also a lot of time getting to know and getting to learn about uh, a very great comrade, a very great uh, revolutionary activist, organizer, um, Paul Robeson. Um, I've been dedicating a lot of time to listening to his music. Uh, I watched a documentary titled The Tallest Tree in Our Forest, which you can find on YouTube, um, which you definitely should check out. And I hope to be able to get his uh, book, Here I Stand, and check that out soon. But I think that Paul Robeson, Kwame Ture, Huey P. Newton, and plenty of other uh, incredible revolutionaries of, you know, African descent uh, have been completely severed off from the mainstream of, you know... People that we commonly hear spoken about or commonly hear referenced when we're talking about things like socialism and communism. Uh, And I think, you know, there's a lot of obvious reasons as to why that is. One, the mass media doesn't actually, and the mass education doesn't actually want us to know about these folks, any of them, no matter who they are. Uh, But on top of that, they would rather us be obsessed with, um, you know, the similar identity uh, and, and individualistic uh, mentality that would lead us away from, you know, folks who don't necessarily look like us, talk like us, come from places that we come from. Uh, so we oftentimes get very echo chambery. Most of us are reading a lot of the same uh, stuff, which isn't a bad thing. You know, a lot of the mainstream uh, and foundational socialist and Marxist texts are important and they're commonly read and reread by communists and socialists for good reason, you know, is because it's important to have these understandings. But it's also important to understand how this, you know, reality uh affects different groups of people who may have not always had the ability to voice for themselves, to write for themselves, to Act for themselves and allow people to understand the particular contradictions and complexities that they face within the capitalist and imperialist system. Paul Robeson was someone who never allowed anything like that to stand in his way. Paul Robeson fought uh, his entire life. Uh, he went to Rutgers and played football. He was an All-American there, and he got, you know, pretty thrashed on by his teammates and uh it was very clear to him at a certain point in his life that it wasn't necessarily his choice to just take that personally. He understood the the role and the, the uh the place in society that folks uh would uphold him to. And uh they knew that or I should say, you know, multiple uh people who were influential in Paul Robeson's life according to that documentary made clear to him that you know, because of his popularity, because of his celebrity, uh, because of his acting and, and play, uh, participating in plays and singing and activism, he had a lot of pressure on his back and he knew it. And that's why he carried himself the way that he did. Um, Paul Robeson from everything I've learned, and of course, this isn't the first time I'm diving into learning about him, but this is the first time that I've really dedicated and committed ample time to specifically Paul Robeson. Um, He, from a very young age, very, very young age, it's described that he was a charismatic, loving, uh, kind soul who wouldn't back down from anything who stood on principle and stood strong. Um, That's something that we can all uh, aspire to be. That's something that we can all learn from. And it's also something that led to incredible, you know, amounts of organization and, you know, change uh, throughout the uh, anti-fascist movement of the late 1930s. Uh, Paul Robeson was in... Uh, different countries all across the world. He sang for Welsh uh, Welsh miners in the middle of their ongoing fight with the invading Nazis. Uh, he, you know, went into the Soviet Union and raised his son there. Um, he spoke out against the treatment of black folks within America, uh, across the country, and across the world. Uh, and that's. You know, and as well as his connections, his organizing, and his continued fight, is what really ended up coming after him. So, in the late forties, the House of the Un-American, what is it? House of the Un-American Committee, or whatever, HUAC, H-U-A-C, the committee that was set up in order to attack left-leaning and and you know socialist, communist. Uh, folks within the United States uh, against their constitutional rights against their human rights to have you know, certain ideological and other beliefs um, and uh, they interviewed him you can go on YouTube and you can listen to the recording of his interview where he speaks out against the treatment of communists and of uh, black folks and of immigrants and of women and uh, of exploited people within America that's, that's a great speech. But then I think it's in 1953, I believe, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, the uh, U.S. government actually repealed his passport. Now, you got to imagine this is someone who's made an entire career out of acting, speaking, and singing across the world. And they tell him, nope, you can't travel anywhere. You can't travel even across to Canada. So I think it's in 1957, he does uh, a little uh, rally where he speaks to a few thousand people on the very, very close opposite side of the Canadian border. Um, But then, you know, through different international calls, through organization and, you know, deep relationships internationally, uh, Paul was able to get his passport back in 1959 Uh, But by this point, he had suffered all kinds of forms of abuse and trauma throughout his life. And if I remember correctly, also, uh, a precursor to the MKUltra experiments uh, was uh, done on Paul. I believe if I remember hearing correctly, they had uh, dropped acid in some of his drinks or... You know, sent people into his life that were meant to make him feel as if he was going crazy. Uh, And uh, they ended up, for the last few years of his life, having him stay with his sister in Philly. And uh, that, unfortunately, was the last time anyone really heard from uh, Paul Robeson Sr. But Paul Robeson Jr., his son, has been doing active work for many, many years. And family and friends of the Robesons have been doing activism for many, many years. And I just thought that it was important to bring uh, this up, and to just give us a little, you know, uh, bit of an intro, and a little bit of a, you know, possibly an appetizer to uh, see if anyone would want to come on the show to do a full episode about him, to do a full episode of, uh, you know, his own history, but also connecting it to the uh, contextual and historical moment in time he was in. Uh, and also connecting it to the ongoing um, intensification of policing, of military, of border patrol, but also of information control, of data control, and, uh, you know, different forms of, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for here, espionage and, and intelligence operations uh it recently came out that the cia has been spying on us far more than we thought we were as well as just the u.s government in general there's been multiple uh lawsuits that have been settled in the past few years where companies like that that ring ring uh that makes the cameras you put on your doorbell uh they got sued because they were selling uh video data uh to i forget who uh, there's all kinds of groups out there that are uh, data mining and selling that data to different companies and corporations. Which, you know, some of us are so deep into this internet sphere of life that we don't even think about this. Like myself, I'm quite aware, like my data, everything that I don't want somebody to know is out there somewhere. And at the end of the day, if someone wants it, the people who want it have the technology, the knowledge, and the ability to get it. So, worst comes to worst, you know, I'm already kind of fucked, probably. And so are most people, right? But now, they're trying to develop different things like, uh, you know, different technologies that are going to be more capable of further policing our movement, further policing our connectivity with one another further policing our communication with one another. I saw on a Twitter that, um, you know, uh, I forget who it was, but it was a pretty common like poster that I saw who shared things fairly recent, like uh, frequently. And uh, someone's shared a screenshot of their profile. When you go to click on their profile, there's a, a bar, like a uh, infograph that pops up under their name that says, this person has been identified uh, by the CIA as a possible terrorist, as a possible domestic terrorist. Um, you know, and I get my content shit, uh, stripped off of Instagram and Facebook semi-frequently, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I wouldn't really be surprised given the trend that we're on if, uh, a lot of what Paul Robeson had to deal with, a lot of what Martin Luther King Jr. had to deal with a lot of what Malcolm X had to deal with, and the Black Panthers, as well as many of others throughout history, such as the American Indian Movement. But even far before the American Indian Movement was formed, indigenous resistance in general had to suffer all kinds of forms of harassment, beating, uh, you know, massacres, mass starvation, public health attacks, um, border school or boarding schools. Uh, All of this is uh, coercive, it is manipulative, it is uh, exploitative and oppressive. And as the International Tribunal for um, Abuses Against Black, Brown, and Indigenous People, uh, according to a recent uh, uh, hearing that they had had, uh, which has been, you know, purported and uh further supported by other internationalist organizations has found the united states guilty of genocide on you know essentially five different criteria of public health uh discrimination uh environmental uh genocide uh i don't believe that's actually the word they use but it is environmental pollution and discrimination uh based oftentimes on uh Class, racial, and uh, you know national ethnic backgrounds. Um, on top of that, they also have the extrajudicial police killings, mass incarceration, and political imprisonment. Five criteria that they use to declare, uh, you know, based on a hundred plus hours of hearings, three days of meeting, that the United States is in fact uh, guilty of genocide has been. For, you know, if we look clearly, it's entire history against black, brown, and indigenous people. So if, you know, if if that's what folks need to hear, then that's what folks need to hear. Not everybody believes that yet. Not everybody thinks that the United States is bad, you know, which is crazy. I know it's crazy. And I know that's not necessarily who we want to focus on. And we want to spend all our time talking to But we do have to understand that we can't just keep talking to one another and expect that the world's going to change. I mean, we've seen in countries like Germany, Italy, Poland, right? Plenty of other nations across the world where communist parties, where mass movements and mass mobilizations have taken place, that if we're all just connected with one another, if we're all in our echo chambers, in our little circles, in our own political parties, and we're not engaging with the masses, we're not connecting with exploited and oppressed people from all different walks of life, then we are ultimately forfeiting our ability to lead a successful revolution and to lead a successful people's movement because at the end of the day, we're not going to be connected with the people. We're not going to be connected with the folks who we most want to solve issues for and with. We want to understand then that a lot of the coercive measures that Paul Robeson and plenty of other activists and organizers have had to deal with are still ever prevalent today. You know, we often hear talked about when Pro was a thing, but there's no uh, concise or concrete date stating that the COINTELPRO uh, program has entirely been disbanded and that no one involved has any active, you know, movement or investigation or work that they're doing. Um, and if COINTELPRO itself as a program is not active anymore, I'm sure there's a dozen, two dozen, three dozen more intelligence and, and, you know, uh, what would you want to call them? Essentially paratrooper, uh, organizations and projects that I guarantee you are in effect, that I guarantee you are actively leading to the mass arrest of land defenders and water protectors, that I assure you are actively leading to the, uh, you know, what are being called on Twitter, the diaspora wars, where uh, it seems like, you know, somebody put on Twitter, and I can't necessarily doubt it, that they go, you know, I'm pretty sure someone or some people are getting paid to come on here and to cause problems and to fight about these you know, essentially pretty common understandings and principles, uh, but, you know, they were like, I'm pretty sure someone's on here getting paid to cause these uh, diaspora, or diaspora, depending on how you say it, uh, wars. They, I mean, fuck, they paid people to kill Thomas Sankara. They paid people to kill Emil Col- Cabral, they killed people to pay, they paid people to kill Martin Luther King, they paid people to kill Malcolm X, they paid people to kill Huey P. Newton, they paid people to kill, uh, you know, or try to kill Leonard Peltier and the American Indian Movement. They've paid people and are paying people millions and billions of dollars to keep Leonard Peltier in prison 46 years after his, you know, arrest for having done absolutely nothing. Not only do they have him still locked up in prison, which, by the way, real quick, if you would like to help us free Leonard Peltier? Please go to either Who is Leonard Peltier. Peltier is p e l t i e r dot info or freeleonardpeltier.com. Both of those URLs have no caps or spaces. And you can also listen to one of the most recent episodes of By Any Means Necessary with Gloria Lariva, where she comes on to speak about this movement, or you could go to the Red Nation Podcasts YouTube and see the multiple different speakouts and rallies that they did where Nick Estes spoke. Uh, uh, um, Gorky, I can't think of her first name. I apologize. Carol Gorky and Jean Roach, who are the uh, founders of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee uh, and uh, Leonard Peltier's family who spoke there. Go check that out on YouTube. Not only will they kill us, they'll throw us in jail and in prison. They'll kick us out the country. Hell, they'll even kick super fucking hardworking, working uh, you know, dedicated and, and incredible human beings out of this country for not signing their name right on some fucking immigration paperwork or because they don't pay thousands of dollars to denounce their citizenship from their former country and become a citizen in the fascist states of America. Um, so, you know... It's quite clear that if you come out and you say, hey, you know, fuck the United States, we're having a revolution. There's a lot there. There's a lot they'll do to f- fucking get rid of you. I mean, that that's it's logical from the standpoint of the oppressor, meaning that if you want to go on oppressing, right, if you want to go on being in charge of everything, I'm talking everything, and we know it's everything. It's not some joke. It's not some conspiracy theory. We know that they got the education. We know they got the banks. We know they got the corporations. We know they got the uh, oil companies. We We know they got the infrastructure. We know they got the transportation. We know they got everything, right? Not only do they have everything, But they want to keep everything, and they don't want to give a single fucking cent of it to you. That's why these wages don't go up, and that's why, in effect, when wages do go up, so does inflation, because they want their money. They don't give two shits about you. Remember that. So if and when, you know, we go fighting, we get resistant, and we start, you know, pushing back and stuff like that, what do they do? Anything in their power to get rid of us. You want to know why? Because their objective is to get rid of us. So what's that mean? That means that quote where Mark says, under no context shall we give up arms and ammunition. And in the other quote where Mark says, you do your worst because when it's our turn, we will not apologize. We will not compromise. And let me find the actual quote. Sorry, I don't always do this where I like, I know the quote in the back of my head, um, but I don't actually know it verbatim. So here it is. The quote that I was referencing was, uh, we have no compassion and we ask no compassion from you. When our turn comes, we will, shall not make excuses for the terror. Because you know what their excuses are? Their excuses are these people are poor. Their excuses are these people are animals. These people are chaotic, anarchic, you know, Uh, Anarchistic, I should say. They say they're, you know, they're running rampant. They're killing people left and right. They're looting the stores and stealing and completely disregarding that for the last 30 to 40 to 50 to 500 years. Those folks that are now out there in the streets maybe breaking a few things have watched their father, their brother, their uncle, their mother, their cousin, their sister, their daughter, their niece, their nephew, their grandma, their grandpa all be beat up by cops, be called the N-word, get beaten down on the side of the street, get robbed, live without electricity, live without proper nutritional health and uh, diets, live without the needs that they had for society and all in all be brutalized and abused for having ever asked that you know they dare uh having ever asked or dared demand that that change so you know when we look at that reality and then we turn around and say oh you know folks in uh Colombia right or folks down in uh Chile or wherever right they're they're crazy poor people you don't want to go down there it's dangerous it's scary da, da 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 why do you think it's fucking dangerous and scary for hundreds of years, all they've seen is mass murder, rape, pillaging, destruction, enslavement, repeat, war, nuclear bombs, right? All they've seen is violence, 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 and not violence generally, not violence neutrally, but violence against them for the purpose of exterminating them or further enslaving them or some third option, violence to kill and violence to rid, you know, the world of exploited and oppressed people. So what the fuck do you expect folks to do? You expect folks to lay down and just take it? I don't. I don't think that's logical. Not just because I say so, but because that's what has historically been the case. It's not logical. People rise up. They don't stay oppressed for long. So in looking at this reality, something I think that we can't go without noticing is the fact that a lot of times these forms of resistance, not only do they look the same, but they often take from each other and are inspired by one another. So we have all these different resistance movements that are going on right now, right? And if we look at them, if we really study them, and when I say study them, I mean study them. The only way that you can really understand any of these movements is not by simply learning about the movement itself through different news articles, but by learning the historical context in which these movements are taking place, learning the history of the uh, nation itself, Um, learning the history of the possible, you know, different forms of colonialism, imperialism, capitalism that have taken place possibly enslavement, right? Look at all of this. And then look at the groups that are participating in these movements. Look at what they're calling for. Look at who they're speaking out against and really study these. Because there are ongoing movements of religious persecution. There are ongoing movements of racial, ethnic, and sexual violence. There are ongoing movements that have been backed, armed, and funded by the United States and other uh, European powers within the United Nations that have been actively, uh, you know, trying to build up the forces of neo-Nazi groups in Poland, in Germany, in uh, Ukraine. The military and the rebel forces that are supposedly, you know, these folks that, uh, we have to fight for and defend against Russia. Every so often, you'll catch a news clip. Well, they'll where they'll show a video of these rebel forces or a picture, and they have fucking SS stickers and patches on their helmets, on their jackets. And it's like, it's, it's, it's difficult to point that out because, again, I made a post about. Well, I actually. I shared a post on Instagram about this, uh, like early, uh, this group's early history. I forget what the group is called, but the, the main group that is getting the funds now right now, uh, right now from the U S and others, um, like their, their history of, of how it started. And because there was a swastika in the background of the picture, Instagram took the entire fucking post down from the original poster. And, like, that's happened multiple times before where I've shared, like, propaganda that's been, like, um, like, I shared this one and it was, like, oh, the Soviets and the the socialists, they're all bad people, they killed my my grandma and my grandpa. And then it was, like, their grandma and grandpa and there's a picture and it's just, like, Nazi soldiers. (laughs) It's, like, yeah, 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 that's probably, you know, that's probably what happened, but instagram decides oh uh because you have posted a picture that happens to have nazis and nazi symbols in it you in fact are spreading hate speech but when white supremacists and neo-nazis post hate speech on instagram facebook tiktok twitter or anywhere you and i know that shit stays up nobody takes that shit down even if we all mass report it they don't take that shit down um and that, that's the trend we're on because far-right uh, nationalism, uh, fascism, racism, and, uh, you know, all the different ideologies that go along with these ideas and these, these structures are on the rise. They've not really gone anywhere in the United States. They have moments of lull. But in those moments of lull, we shouldn't necessarily be like, oh, it's good, because what's happening oftentimes is those groups are getting organized. Um, Because they're not going to prison. They're not getting locked up. They're not the ones that the police are breaking into and killing next to their pregnant girlfriends. That's Fred Hampton of the Chicago Panther Party. Um, You know, those aren't the folks that they're going in and and sending soldiers to go massacre. That's, uh, you know, different people like Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein or others that five years before the U.S. government kills them or tries to, they're the ones who gave the guns to them. But anyways... You know, I'm kind of rambling at this point. I told you, this is the morning commute. We're stoned, too. You know, it happens. But there's a few other things I want to cover real quick, so let me just take a breather here, wink, wink, and uh, we'll get back to your regularly scheduled program. Alrighty, back in action. So, anyways, uh, we got um, a lot going on in this country right now. We got a lot going on across the world. And uh, one of those things that I wanted to hit on real quick, even though I probably don't have as much information on it as I need, um, is this uh, this convoy of truckers that is going through Canada. And I think there was one or is one that's also going through the U.S. Um, I don't, again, I, I, I don't know the specifics of these groups and of these uh, individuals who are participating in it quite yet. Um, I haven't dedicated the time to it. But, I mean... Let's think logically here. You got a bunch of leftists that are coming out and saying this is a working class movement. We have to like at least give some support to these people because they're working class. Well, if, if someone is a member of the working class, right? If someone is uh, disconnected from the means of production, is forced to labor each and every day so as to be able to provide themselves with the means of subsistence. If uh, you know they were uh, to be you know, under the oppression and the exploitation of the ruling class, that's not necessarily meaning that this is a working class movement. Just because there are people that are in the convoy who do belong to the working class does not make this a working class movement. The character, the determinant factor of what makes a movement or a revolution or a rebellion or an uprising what it is, is not necessarily who is, you know, participating. Because you can look at different movements throughout history and say that, oh, well, this, you know, revolution here, this revolution there, it had this group of people in it. And so therefore, it's this, that, and the third. But objectively, we have to understand that the way in which we determine and characterize movements is by looking at their objectives, looking at their formation, Looking at their programs and looking at their actions. So, again, I haven't really had the time to check out any of these for this group of people. Um, However, looking on the outside and just kind of going off of uh, pure, you know, whim, honestly, and uh, general assumptions, I would point out that this is you know a group of people who has to this point been able to stay out of work has been able to uh you know really be able to survive without too much outside support not saying that they're not getting support because again this group groups are not small the reactionary and especially the the white uh you know violent and uh, uh right wing conservative uh groups are not small they're uh, actively getting much bigger actually they're organizing way better than almost anybody else here and that's a huge problem but anyways there's that there's also the fact that a lot of these people seem to <sighs> what else There's a point I want to make, but I don't know how to make it. So I'm just going to say that it seems like not everyone that is there is working towards the same goal. And it seems like none of them are working towards what we might call a working class objective. They're trying to get rid of mask and vaccine mandates. Um, They're not trying to put power in the hands of the people uh, outside of, you know, uh, in a reactionary sense. Um, And they're not also trying to turn that power around to help folks that, uh, you know, they have political, ideological, uh, or religious differences with. Um, That much is clear by the Nazi, you know, symbols and the the, the fucking uh, Confederate flags and shit like that um, but also by the general demeanor and uh, speeches and discussions that have been given and reported on um, So there's that anyways um, also I wanted to mention about this this convoy is that I mean I'm sure a lot of us have seen the video where it's the Fox News reporters speaking about like all these dirty caravans and these migrants and these harmful people that we got to stay away from and we got to be careful from and it's dubbed over the videos of the the white trucker convoy um that is pretty like stunning to look and realize that like fascism far-right nationalism are both on, you know, the active rise and being given a platform to do so, and there is a percentage of organizations and and individuals who I I have seen on social media whose, you know, names, if I had them, I'd I'd point them out because I'm going to be done with this whole thing of saying the left, I'm going to get receipts and I'm just going to start pointing to people who are doing dumb shit and start calling them out, not on some cancel shit, but on some like honesty shit here. I'm not making up a scarecrow and trying to say this. So I look, you know, more principled or more, you know, intelligent. Um, There are groups of people who have been trying to say that, although, you know, these uh, convoys obviously are, you know, not working towards objectives that are, uh, the best for the masses, uh, because again, there are people within the group who happen to belong to the working class. We can't write them off. We can't not, you know, uh, uh, expect that at some point we're going to have to try to propagandize to these people, try to organize these people. And, uh, you know, I, I take two tones with that. First of all, anyone that's carrying a swastika, an ss patch or a confederate flag as there's no necessity to focus on organizing with them there really isn't um but the second tone that i'd like to take is that what kind of you know does what kind of message does that give because rather than using the many pre-existing forms of oppression and exploitation that are existent and prevalent within society, rather than looking at all the contradictions that exist between non-white, non-men, non-European folks and the, quote, founding fathers and and folks who look like them, um, if you look at the contradictions between the impoverished and the wealthy here and all over the world, why do we not use those clear, clear signs and contradictions so as to point out to people what's wrong and to get them organized. Instead, we like sit here and defend the fact that these fucking far-right groups uh, time and time again, or these activists or, you know, politicians who really don't seem to be doing much for us, we have to sit here and defend them because well, you know, they're the better of two evils, or, well, we have to, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to do the revolution without them, or we're not going to be able to get there incrementally without them. We ha- This is a step. This is a step in the right direction. There's so much to unpack there, but really what I'm meaning to say is this. If we look at the people's movements like The uh, Shack Dwellers Movement and the National Union of Metal Workers in South Africa and the other uh, different people's movements that are happening across the continent of Africa, like um, the uh, folks in, uh, um, excuse me here, why am I blanking right now, in Kenya, right, and uh, in other places in Latin America, like in Cuba, in Nicaragua, in Venezuela. There is genuine, you know, uh, socialist and uh, proletarian, communist uh, or Marxist, whatever you want to call it, sentiment there. But there is also a genuine working class movement that is not reactionary, that is a part of and being actively supported by the socialist, communist, and other movements. Whereas in other countries where we tend to see the United States point and say human rights abuses, we see working class, quote, and people's, quote, movements taking place that are, in fact, not supported by the communist or socialist parties and not supportive of the communist and socialist parties. And there's a few ways we can take this. One, we can say that just because you're a communist, just because you're a socialist, doesn't mean everything you do is correct, doesn't mean everything you will do is correct. The second thing we can say is, well, that might be because these groups are not actually working towards working class and proletarian objectives, but they are, in fact, working towards the objectives of reactionary members of the working class, such as the petty bourgeoisie, or the lumpen proletariat, two groups which are ultimately characterized by their uh, moving, or what is commonly in Marxist uh, uh, theory called vacillating, uh, ideology, which switches between supportive of and uh, critical of the status quo in the ruling class. Uh, these groups are actively used by the ruling class so as to foment division and dissent and to create waves and barriers between the workers and between the uh, exploited and oppressed people across the world that lead towards a disorganization and a disunity rather than organization and unity. Now, this is really important because we have a moment in time right now like no other. We have a moment in time where we could really be getting people together. We could really be doing some real work. But if we don't put in the time, if we don't do the building, if we don't do the absolute step by step grueling work of taking exploiting oppressed people and giving them the tools, the knowledge and the abilities they need to liberate themselves from that oppression and from that exploitation and eradicate the forms of reaction and repression that exist across the world, then we will continuously fail, we will continuously fall, and the earth will die. But If we study, study the history, study the complexities and the contradictions within our reality, settle our quarrels and come together, as George Jackson says, realizing that fascism is here, realizing that many more people will die or live half-beaten lives, half-butchered lives, because we, the people who are conscious and aware of the reality that capitalism and imperialism creates, did not do what was necessary to bring the masses of people together, to give them power, to give them encouragement, and to set them towards the objectives and the goals which we know have historically and will lead towards their emancipation and true proletarian liberation. That is our objective. That is my goal, and that is what I am working towards, folks. So if you're down with that, I'm down with you. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. I hope you're doing, uh, you know, as good as you can. I hope you are staying, you know, as active as you can. Get out there. Stay revolutionary. We'll see you next time. Peace out, comrades.